Hello, I'm Emma Knight, Chief Executive uh, here at the National Governance Association, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Andy Buck. And Andy, you may want to say a little bit more about your wide range of experience, but you, I think of you have, having been a friend of NGA for, for many years, um, and certainly uh, we've always been uh, suggesting your uh, book, Leadership Matters, um, both to those that govern and and those who lead our, our schools and uh, trusts. But you have a long history, both of uh, being a teacher and then a leader um, and a trust executive, um, but now also a chair of a, of a trust. So uh, as well as being an expert in um, leadership, you've really been um, walking this walk, which I think will be really, really useful to our listeners. Uh, so I invited you to come and have this conversation with me because when I was updating the chair's handbook over the summer, I was really thinking much more about uh, that vital relationship between the chair of the board and the executive leader, whether that be a head teacher of a school or a chief executive of a trust and how we can really make um, that uh, role, uh, that relationship um, as secure um, and uh, supportive, but also challenging. That's sort of one of those uh, mm -hmm. absolute central tenets, isn't it, of, yeah. of governance? And it struck me that um, coaching uh, would uh, would and should really be a part of of that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you very much for the for the invitation and uh, for the wonderful summary. I'm very happy with that. I've got nothing to add, really. Um, uh, sort of poacher turn gamekeeper, I suppose, in some senses now. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The, 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 rela the, the relationship between the executive and the board um, to, to encompass all of those kind of levels of governance um, can be so different, can be so good, um, and can be really not so good, can be actually quite debilitating. So I think for for chairs, um, really, really spending time to evaluate, you know, how is that going? What am I doing to contribute to whatever that is, uh, however good or not good that is? Um, how do we want to work together? Um, those are all things that are implicit in coaching in I, I would say in its widest of senses um, there are there are lots of ways that people talk about coaching and and I going back to lockdown one I was um, I had a diary full of speaking engagements and and coaching and training and so on in schools which was what I was doing then I've, I've stopped doing that now um, and suddenly that that diary, as you can imagine, at the beginning of lockdown one, I just kept getting these emails. Within a space of two weeks, six months worth of engagements disappeared <laughs> from the calendar, uh, which was just, you know, what it was like, wasn't it? If we yeah. remember back to, to that time. And um, and I've got to be honest, it was a bit of me thinking, God, you know what, it's quite nice to step off this treadmill. And I won't be the only one that probably felt that either, to some extent. But it was also an opportunity because I'd been wanting to take the bit of leadership matters that um, book that really talked about um, your style as a leader. And within that, one of the things that I wrote about was the work that's being done on, um, you know, being directive, um, being uh, 
pace setting where it's kind of look at me, do what I'm doing, keep up with me, do it as well as me. But also thinking about being sometimes more democratic, where you empower others to make decisions. Um, if you, you know, if you're delegating a task, you're just clear what the goal is, but they can decide how they're going to achieve it. And then coaching, which is really a kind of blend of all of those. And I really wanted to sort of unpick that a bit. So I, I decided to write a book called Basic Coaching Method that that kind of pulled together both my own experience, but also a lot of reading that I'd done uh, on, the, on the subject um, to try and help shape that a bit. And you were kind enough to include reference to it and a, a little bit about it in, the, in your updated um, Chairs Handbook. But I nearly called the book, Emma, How to Be Great to Talk With. Right. Because really... I think that if you if you adopt the sorts of approaches that that I, I, I talk about um, and I try to put in practice, I've tried to put in practice when I've been running an organisation, but I've also very much trying to put into practice now in my role as as chair at lead is if you if you pick up on some of those simple habits, they can just make you better to talk with. And and that is the foundation, I think, of of building that sense of rapport, which is so important between the chair and, and the executive. And I, and by that, I'm predominantly talking about whoever's running the executive, but it, but it's, you know, I would say applies to a large extent too, to the, the senior members of that executive team as well. Um, yes. And- I, I mean, I think that comes up really strongly in the book. It, that, that really did, did hit me. I, I, I love the fact that you were also using a whole range of anecdotes about your relationship with your um, elderly uncle and the decisions yes. that he was having to make. And that, um, <clears throat> A, rang so true, but it made me realise how important this is in all facets of one's life. But as you say, if we're you know looking at that um, role of being an executive or a, or a non-executive, it's all those conversations, isn't it, that yeah, you have, absolutely. I think, the, the the advice um, and experience that you were sharing well, and I, there. I think I think if you're great to talk with, what you do is you bring out the best in the other person, and you help to manage the things that might sometimes stop them being as good as they could be in their decision making or in their approaches. So, I mean, it, it just so happened that while I was writing this book over the period of about six weeks, um, my uncle was facing all sorts of challenges, as you allude to, and I write about them in the book because. I'm kind of his primary carer, but he was in Horsham, I was in North London, and we couldn't travel. So we were doing a lot on the phone. Um, he wasn't well, there were all sorts of issues. And, I, you know, I won't go into all the details. But what I found was that, you know, looking at it from afar, I could see, you know, and he, he was sometimes getting quite confused about things. He's, you know, he's quite elderly. Um, and I, I could see from afar what needed to happen. But when I tried in those conversations to say, well, what I think you need to do or what we should do even or whatever, I was just met by this very re- resistant kind of wall of fear uh, combined with stubbornness and, and whatever. Whereas when I tried to manage the temptation to do that, because you think it'll be quicker and easier and more efficient and all those all those very yes. real emotions that you feel yes. in that situation. Yeah. Um, and actually kind of asking questions and then sometimes say, well, I've got a thought about that. Do you want to hear it? So that it, these were inv- it was invitational and he was in control. 
Well, he took himself to where I thought he needed to go and sometimes took himself somewhere else that actually was better. And so that, and you know, that, so that was very helpful when I was writing the book because it happened all the way through the process, really. And I and I think so those those sort of conversations that you were relaying, but also the book in its entirety, I think really helps those of us. And I probably put put myself into that box of perhaps jumping into advising a little bit too soon. Um, and I, I think most people, um, I imagine most people who who listen to to this podcast will sort of understand that distinction between being a mentor because you've done the role yourself and you got that sort of professional lived experience to being a coach that's encouraging learning through through self-reflection but it's a bit more of a spectrum isn't it than that and I think again your book helps um, uh, describe how one can slightly morph into the other for a while but you do it consciously it might it yeah, might help uh, to say yeah. a bit a bit more about that yeah no I, I mean I think you've touched on the key things there so I one of the models that I drew on in writing the book is has been around for I don't know fifty years nearly. Someone called Miles Downey, who was at the beginning of thinking about this in the seventies, and he came up with, as you say, a continuum. Um, he called it the coaching continuum. Um, so at one end you've got where you're being quite directive, and at the other end where you're being non-directive. And so towards the non-directive, you've you, you've really got asking questions, listening. A really powerful thing that you can do as a coach, which is to play back. Sounds like what you're saying is. And that, you know, if you're in a conversation with 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 a CEO or a head and you play back, it's enormously powerful because one, it builds rapport. They've been listening. They're interested in what I'm saying. So that almost in itself builds relationship and starts to build trust. They care about what, what I'm saying. Secondly, it's a great way to check that you've understood but but thirdly, what happens when you play back is you you prompt more thinking on the part of the other person. You know, if I say to someone, sounds like what you're saying is X, Y, and Z, and by the way, you can sometimes helpfully organize what they've said for them uh, and summary it or praise it in some way. Um, rarely, if ever, do they say to me, you know, that's it, Andy. They'll go, yes, and, mm -hmm. or yes, but. So they'll qualify it or they'll have another thought. In other words, it promotes them to do the thinking. So that's all at the kind of non-directive, listening, playing back, asking questions, uh, and so on. Um, if though you, you kind of think, I've got some knowledge here, or a perspective sometimes, it might not even be knowledge, but it might just be a perspective or a viewpoint, saying to someone, um, I've got a thought on this, or I've got a perspective, shall I, you know, could I, However, it just comes up naturally in the conversation, but you get them on board with you. And, and you, when you do that, there are degrees of it. So you, you might be kind of just suggesting or a bit stronger than that might be advising. A bit stronger than that might be actually instructing or modelling. Um, you know, the further you go down that more directional route, the further you're going along that continuum. But... What I realized when I was writing the book was um, actually there's one really, really simple habit as a chair that you can adopt. That means you almost get this right automatically without, you know, you almost use the right leadership style without even worrying about it, without even realizing. And that simple habit is to ask first. 
if you start every conversation or every bit of a conversation by asking some questions, you're not putting a ceiling on what the other person can do. You're giving them that sense of ownership. You're building rapport and relationship because you're showing interest in them. You're better understanding the context and the front line, which is sometimes challenging when you're a chair. Um, and then through those good questions, and you know, we talk about that in the coaching method about how to ask good questions, um, you can help them with their thinking at a strategic level. Um, and you know, I think it's really important to recognize that this isn't about going into the operational and, and, and that's something you have to keep in your head and that's an emotion that you sometimes have to manage. And, and for me, that's harder perhaps than for some because I've, you know, I've done a similar role to the, the person who I'm now the chair for. Um, but, but because of that, I can ask better questions, but I have to really manage the temptation not to you know, either go into advice giving mode too quickly, as you were saying earlier. Um, but at the same time, you've always know you've got that there as an option. If you, if you, so, so there are four habits in the basic coaching method. Ask first, frame your questions well, and the best questions don't start with could you or should you or have you or why. They start with what or how. Questions that start with what or how, number one, are intrinsically open. So you're not leading the conversation anywhere. And secondly, they're getting them to do the work because they have to do the thinking. If you make suggestions, you know, because if you say to someone, have you thought about, actually, you're not really asking a question, are you're you? Not, you're telling you're them what you think. Aren't you? Ooh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're really might, saying, I think what you ought way. to, <laughs> yeah, I think what you ought to do is this. Yeah. Um, so framing questions well, listening hard, and then playing back. Um, and in your playback, organising the thinking if appropriate. And I think one of the really important things about um, this conversation that we're having in terms of the role of the chair is that we're not asking chairs to do something additional are we? Because, you know, we talk absolutely rightly and properly about, you know, the amount of time and effort that, that leaders are, are having to expend leading their schools and trusts. But it's not quite as visible how much time that chairs, and you'll obviously know this uh, yourself, chairs and vice chairs are, are absolutely spending at, at the moment with the, with the roles that, that they're carrying out. So we're all always really conscious at NGA that we want to try and say, actually, you could do it this way, but it'll save you time in the long run. It's not an additional responsibility. We're really talking here, aren't we, about how you do that absolutely fundamental part of good governance which is asking as you said the right questions that's sort yeah. of at the heart of, of oh it completely well. is and I think technically that's always been there and has kind of always been understood you know think about your excellent 21 questions series um they're, they're, they are questions aren't they they are things that you can ask um but I think that they might be around the technical there's also the questions you can ask I mean a, a, I've drawn the work of someone called he's got a fine name Michael Bungay Stania who's written a book called The Coaching Habit and I unpick that book a lot in the basic you know I've just been a magpie and stolen what I think are the best things that are out there um, this book has sold millions of copies and actually it's a leadership book it's not a coaching book but it exactly goes to the point this is about how as a leader you can be great to talk with um, and 
there's seven chapters based around seven key questions. And the first question, there are two that I think are brilliant. The first one is, um, you know, at the beginning of a conversation, we probably did this, how are you? And the reply is, well, I'm fine. How are you? We almost say it. Even when we're not feeling great, we say it. There's an aut- almost automatic response. It's it's just the social niceties. Whereas if if if, if as a chair you say to your, you, your head or your exec member, um, what's on your mind? Starts with what? What's on your mind? Um, that's like implicit in that is I'm here to help. Implicit in that is I'm I'm a safe space where you can talk talk stuff through. Implicit in that is I'm not judging you. Um, it's not like you know what do you need help with or what's your problem or what's your goal, which sounds terribly coachy. It's just about um, it's a very human question, and that's why I love it. And it's amazing, you know. I use that question so much when I was a professional coach. You know, what's on your mind? And I think one of the things about the basic, so the word basic stands for the stages in the conversation and the B is about background. And the most well-known coaching model is GROW, which starts with G, which is the goal. And RA in basic is the aim. Because I don't think you can get to really properly talk about an aim until you've established what's going on, um, both for your benefit to be able to ask better questions, but also to help the person make sense of their current reality. And, and a lovely open question like what's on your mind um, is great, often combined with something positive. So since we last spoke, what are you really pleased about? What's going really well? That can really, because one of the basic qualities, so we have those four habits, but we also have four qualities. One of those is about staying positive um, and, and helping your coachee or your your executive or head to, to feel in that positive space. Yeah. Um, and that's doing, so... Sorry, that's just so important at the moment, isn't it? So many of the conversations, I think, um, you know, have been around some of the the challenges, and that's putting it, you know, in a polite, in a polite way. And there has been, hasn't there, quite a bit of despondency, I think, in the, some of those conversations this term that lead execs have been having with their chairs, and that's understandable given the context, you know, funding context, the recruitment context. So I think, yeah, that you, you know, your point about the what's gone well and focusing on the positive is incredibly important I think now yeah because because the system actually has been remarkable and very resilient and the leaders in it are doing amazing things and part of your job as a chair is to is to pull those out and get people to see them Um, so rather you know I kind of think of it as when you're climbing a mountain um you need to break things down into doable stages of what you're gonna where you want to get to each day so that it's not this massive mountain that seems impossible to climb. But at the end of each day, you need to look back and see how far you've climbed, where you've come from. Um, and I, you know, I, I just think that's the gift you have as a chair, is to help give the, the executive or the head the, the, the space to, to celebrate. And then they start to look forward to those conversations rather than feeling, oh, I've got my catch up with the chair to be got through. Yes. And, I, you know, I've been in that situation. I, I've had really good chairs where I've really looked forward to that conversation where that person was really great to talk with. I felt had got my back, who cared about me and my success, who understood and was really op- up for listening, um, but played back. So I thought, OK, yeah, he's got it. Um, and then I had other I've had other chairs where they just 
all they wanted to do was to say what they wanted to say because they thought that was what they should be doing. I mean, it's not, it's not, well, it is a criticism really, but it came from the good place. They thought that was what their job was. And, you know, they talk about, you know, you know, we were talking about earlier support and challenge. So they thought, well, I've got to be challenging. Well, challenging doesn't mean you're unpleasant or unsupportive. It just means you ask questions that really get people thinking in a good way that's helpful ultimately for the organisation. And that's really what I think you have to try and keep in your mind as you're, as you're having those conversations. So some of the challenge that I've had back from um, trust executives um, and indeed actually some, some individual head teachers when, when talking about this and, you know, the applicability of, of, of coaching to this relationship. And maybe, maybe if, if I just talked about, you know, good conversations and good questions, it might not have raised the same worries. But people were um, on occasion saying, oh, I can't be completely honest with my chair because they're also my line manager in in effect and I think it'd be really good to, to, to try and tease that out which I think perhaps surprises me because you know like you I'm well I'm I'm still a chief executive and I'm answerable to my board and I have had uh, uh, many chairs over the years because I've been a, a chief executive in a couple of roles for quite a long time and we have the rule that no chair can serve longer than than three years so I don't get into that position of you know um, having someone for for, for a decade and certainly my um, current chair Lynn Hammer is absolutely superb at doing the sort of things that we've been talking about um, here so I find it quite hard to put myself in that position of where I wouldn't be you know uh, open with Lynn and and tell her exactly what what was on my mind but I think some um, leaders are a little bit hesitant to to do that and that might have been because of previous experience that perhaps hadn't gone as well as they wanted but it might it might simply be right no they're the chair and I have this very particular relationship with them over there and then I'm going to have different systems for support mentoring coaching which we would say and I'm sure you would too Andy is you still do that this doesn't a chair doesn't replace the that other um, system whatever you choose to use I, I think you the last thing you said there I think is absolutely right and and, and critical actually um, because I, I, I guess whenever there is a line management or, or accountability, let's call it what you want, uh, relationship, of course that is going to have an influence on those conversations because to some extent there is a, there is a power differential that will, you know, will never go away. It will always be there and that's, and that's right. Um, but that doesn't stop one as a chair getting the benefits of some of those approaches in working with that, because there's probably a bit of ground in between the two. There's, there's always going to be some things you'd never say, but there are a lot of things that you might say if you felt like you trusted the person sufficiently to be able to, to share them. Whereas if you saw it very much as a, just a transactional relationship where you're, you're going through the motions, if you like, those, those things in that middle ground, that in-between ground, probably wouldn't, wouldn't get said. And I, and I think also it's really important to recognise that we are all different and it's the combination of the chair and the CEO that will, will 
ultimately define how that relationship works and that and that's right too uh, you know the way that i work with diana at lead is not the template how everyone should work it's just you know and it's taken us a year to get to that and you you know you were talking about how long this can take um i've been lucky because she's a very values led uh, person um and we've had some really good conversations, but we've 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 now built a you know I'd like to say anyway <laughs> when Diana listens to this she might think otherwise um, I'd like to think that we've built a really good working relationship now where we kind of understand how it works on both sides and part of that is of course a, is talking about that um, and one of the things you do when you formally coach someone is you do something called contracting don't you at the beginning where you agree the ground rules of you know what's confidential and what happens if I don't like it? Can I get someone, you know, all of that. How's this going to work? And I always start that by saying, you know, what do you want? And that's another question from Michael Bungay saying, what do you want from me as a chair? Uh, apart from the fact I've got these three big things to do around educational outcomes, money and governance, what, what do you want? And then say, okay, so how, there's what and how, how can we make that work in practice then in a way? Because this relationship and these conversations, of course, as the chair, you're the guardian of the charity and uh, on behalf of the trustees, but you're also there to bring out the best in the exec. Yes. And so asking that question, I think, is, is really, really important. And I think, particularly if you're um, running a, a trust, you definitely, I mean, I can't imagine not having a coach stroke mentor I mean I have one now John Coles mentors me in my role as a chair right that's interesting um, and there have been two or three we don't sort of have regular meetings but he's there if if I feel like I just want someone to talk it through that I know because John you know I've worked with him before uh, I can completely trust his confidentiality and I can have really honest conversations with him where I feel able to say exactly what's on my mind um so in the same way that I might not be able to say all of those things to someone who I'm working with. So, so again, I mean, I'm not suggesting that every chair has to have a mentor or a, but I definitely think if you're in the CEO role, having someone who you can talk to who is, who's only got one agenda, which is you, whereas a chair, you've got the organization and the person, haven't you? And so that makes that much more difficult. Absolutely. And I think that point you make about support for chairs, again, um, we overlook certainly in the system um, and uh, as part of our chairs development program um, we encourage people to sort of stay in contact after the program ends and so often that happens and you know if they've been working in triads those often you know s survive that 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 period just because as you say you can then have a conversation with someone who has no vested interest in any way shape or form what would you do in this situation and that doesn't happen nearly as often across the sector as one would hope because you know by definition head teachers and trust execs know other people working in the system whereas often if you're a chair or, or particularly a chair that hasn't been an executive or a, or a teacher before you don't have that your network is not as part of the school the school the school and, and you just reminded me of something else actually that's happened recently so obviously we've just had conversations in the last term about performance of the executive you know it's happened right through the organization but i was involved in the in the conversation um with the ceo and 
we have an external advisor that comes in and manages that process. Um, and interestingly, actually, um, that person is also involved in quite a lot of the, if not all of the uh, external advice for the head teachers. So their ability to triangulate um, what's being said in all of those different conversations, I think is very powerful. But I also did a 360 at the end of my first year as a chair with the exec and all of the trustees um, based on, um, I think, and it's probably a dirty word now, but I think I use the CST definition <laughs> of, um, uh, of um, what makes for good governance of maths or something like that. Um, I've subsequently seen you've also got something really good on this. But anyway, we created this survey monkey of, of questions and I got, and, and actually I then asked the external advisor and, and the trust agreed to fund this for them to coach me through the outcomes of, of that information because I just felt that would be reassuring for me that I was reading it right. Um, but they were bringing with it their external perspective of the environment in which I'm operating. Yeah, um, and, that and so is, that was very useful. Yeah, and that's exactly how our 360s, we do them both for boards, but also for, for chairs. And that's exactly the model that we have. Once you've done the, 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 the 360 evaluation online, then you have a real live conversation with, with one of our consultants for exactly yeah. that reason. Brilliant. You know, there's always something, isn't there, that comes up that actually you need to, to, to talk through that you didn't realize that other people perceived you um, yeah. in this but again way. a good a good person doing that will also really focus on the positives yeah because yes. when we just read it ourselves we just don't we we, we you know we yes. skip all of that oh, nice stuff oh, and just focus on the thing that really... th yeah things that jump out so yeah. one of the other things i wanted to to, to ask you about andy was um the difference that you've seen this make, um, you know, adopting a sort of coaching approach to to questioning in in, in governance. So I was going to say impact was why I hesitated, but impact makes it sound as though I'm wanting a measure, which I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm just thinking of some of the, you know, criticisms that sometimes people, you know, might throw or questions maybe people might ask about, is this all, you know, really rather lovely, but 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 actually a bit a, a bit woolly where, you know, where does it where does it actually get us what difference does it make or or equally I've heard people say but you know once you get to that sort of level you should be able to do your reflection yourself you you don't necessarily need someone to to take you through that that conversation and I I, I think what you described there is is quite common um mm. and, and I also think it's quite understandable actually in lots of ways um but and it's interesting as well. I mean, I was a head of a school, well, head of two schools, but I, 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 for 13 years altogether. But it wasn't until my 10th year that I really kind of suddenly, very late in the day, saw the benefit of using a coaching approach. Was, you know, I was 10 years ahead before I had a coach. Mm. Um, and what was really interesting about it, if I think about if my chair of governors had adopted a coaching approach with me which he which he didn't particularly um what happens is that if the person asks questions in the right way 
and doesn't jump too quickly to give advice. And if you if if they've got that demeanor, uh, I mean, another one of the basic qualities is is keeping curious. Mm, if yeah. their if their whole demeanor is I'm interested in or I'm just wondering or could you say a bit more about what happens is that you relax you stop being in a kind of defensive mode where you're you're fight flight or freeze you're way past that so much so that people can ask you questions that your brain really engages with and really thinks that really challenge you without you getting defensive because you can ask really difficult questions but if the person just bats them back and tries to um, obfuscate the issue with lots of data for example I've seen that um, and you're left thinking because you might not be an expert in the thing that they're talking about and you think well that all sounds very impressive but you haven't got a clue <laughs> rather than the person saying do you know what actually that's really interesting I hadn't thought of it like that now that only comes from from you building that trust and building that relationship with the person where you can ask those questions, um, you know, or hold the mirror up for a person and say, "You seem quite down at the moment." Mm. Now, once you've done that, once you've got to that stage, you're able to ask much more challenging questions than you would be if you just had a transactional relationship. So, I think that the superficial challenge and then there is real challenge to thinking uh that that taking a a kind of coaching approach which doesn't mean you're coaching as such it's using these you know ask first frame well listen hard play back um you know build trust keep curious show empathy and stay positive those key eight tenets of of the method that i write about if you just do those things the difference the transformation so yeah it's not warm and fluffy at all if anything it's the opposite because once that relationship builds you can have much more honest conversations never be 100% honest it, you know let's be honest it's not like a purely confidential coaching relationship because as we've said before about the power relationship but but it will be a lot more powerful as a result of of some of those and, and you know what? As you said before, this isn't more work. This is just nuancing the way you do what you already do. Yeah, ab absolutely. Now that I think that's really that's really helpful. And it, it's also, isn't it, about um, making the time to have the conversations. But we're not talking about you know hours on end, mm -hmm. are we? But this is no. this is this is perhaps slightly um to, to to one side but one of the things i think that that we nga are slightly um concerned about given that context um that i mentioned before of sort of the funding the resources the needing to ba balance the budget that we've been encouraging schools and trusts for years and years to actually make the time for cpd more more generally but also for middle managers as well as senior managers to actually have time to 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 do this sort of thing and to manage to to, to manage well and not try and you know do it around the edges of a of a day packed with 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 lessons and it doesn't i and i think my governing boards we you know are absolutely with us on that we do not come across trustees and governors who do not want to invest in staff development i think everybody gets the fact that if you want better education for pupils you need to invest in developing your staff but it's quite um it it's a more difficult case to make when resources are so 
Sure, both. And that's not just in terms of money. It's also at the moment in terms of people as well, isn't it? So in te- I was just thinking maybe we should we should round off our conversation by sort of, you know, making that case for for investment in in, in people. Have you got any sort of words of advice or, or, or wisdom on that front? Because that's really your your business, isn't it? Leadership development. Yeah. So so there's a there's a couple of thoughts that were going through my mind as you were talking there, Emma. Um, and then places I can point people if it's if it's helpful. Um, so there are some, you know, like NGA, there are lots of organizations out there that can help. Um, courses or programs have their place for people, ideally, before they take the step to take on the role. You know, like in the police, you do your sergeant's course, you get your sergeant's ticket or badge or whatever it is, and then you're eligible to become a sergeant. Um, sometimes we're we're backfilling a bit too much in education. I think, oh, I'm a middle leader now. I better have some middle leader training. Um, but um, and and you know, in the context of current scenarios, the the system has got you know millions of pounds of apprenticeship levy sitting in it. Uh, and there are organisations like, for example, the National College for Education that will run level three, level four, level five, level seven, even MBAs where people can spend their apprenticeship levy. In fact, Diana um, just just did hers, got a distinction in, in the MBA with National oh. College of Education. Um, but there are lots of people that, that, that offer that. So, so I think courses and programmes have a place. And by the way, if you can find apprenticeships that will enable you to get some of that money back into your school budget that helps a lot on the finances because then it's just a question of the person giving up the time to do it um but the but the thing that i suppose has really only dawned on me latterly and since you know since i was a head actually subsequent to being a head is is really the power of the expertise that already exists within the schools and the power of how those conversations happen and so one of the things, you know, I was saying earlier, lockdown when I wrote the book and, and, and people started reading it and then they said, oh, we want to train people in this. And so I went and did some online training with some of the schools and then I couldn't keep up with the schools that wanted it. And I was doing the same thing over and over again. I thought, you know, I, this is this is a waste of my time um, and could be much more flexible for people. So I recorded little videos um, and created a little qualification. So you then get people being trained in in this because, you know, and I know schools where all the leaders in the schools have been trained in how to have these sorts of conversations so that when they're doing a lesson observation, they can then use this approach to, to, to ask first, give the teacher the ownership of the thing, but, but go into giving advice mode if needed so that you know you start by asking first and only offer advice or take on something or model it as a conscious decision as we were saying earlier um and then of course the mat said well can't we run the training so there's now a train the trainer kind of i suppose it's a franchise of it i suppose where we've got about 50 mats who are running their own training and awarding their own certificates of competence in in doing this now the cost of that relative to you know the number of people that are going to benefit from it and whether it's basic coaching or some other you know there are lots of lots of other approaches out there i sound like i'm on the bbc now um (laughs) but um i think i think the key point i'm making here is there is a lot of knowledge experience talent and care and and relationships within organizations 
And therefore, the biggest challenge is how do you protect the time to allow for those conversations to happen? And that's where I think the leadership has to make some bold decisions. So I can remember going back to the 1990s, where as a school, I was working in a school in North London. It was brilliant. On our, what were then called Baker Days, um, you we, we pretty much most of those five days a year got time in our teams, got time in departments and a bit of time in year teams, but mainly time in departments. So we could just do so much stuff together and have these conversations um, and, and, and create that sense of team because that time was protected. And if you do start to get more radical, um, as I think we need to as a sector, that we change the social perceptions around marking, which, you know, there's so much evidence now to say that if you were doing a cost-benefit analysis of the time and energy that goes into marking from teachers and the benefit it brings, relative to saying actually what we should be doing is looking at pupil response to what's going on in a lesson drawing out from that what are the bits that i need to change the next time i teach this and what are things i need to tell the whole class the next time we meet that they need to bear in mind goodness me that would save so much time that could be used then for these sorts of conversations. And it was interesting, wasn't it, that a few years ago, pre-pandemic, we were talking about that and much more, weren't, weren't we, the whole workload project? And that was one of the sort of three big things along with along with data um, as, as well. And I think so much else has been happening. Those conversations have been pushed to the periphery. So we're trying to get trust to bring them back um, uh, centrally. And actually, it was interesting you mentioned the apprenticeship uh, levy because Steve Edmonds, my director of advice and guidance, did a podcast earlier with um, Mandy Coulter, who of course you'll know as uh, yeah. from Talent Architects, but but also the the, the uh, National College as well talking about um yeah how to sort of embed a philosophy of of well not just philosophy a practice of of people development right through your organization so we've sort of um yeah reinforcing that um today but uh, be before we we wrap up andy is there anything else you want to say in conclusion about you know encouraging uh, and not just chairs, it's actually other trustees and governors as well to, to really think think hard or re reflect being one of the, 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 the big words of this this podcast on, on how they question and what a difference that Yeah, that so, so I think if I was to say anything, um, it would be the, the four key habits, really, that right. people might want to go from this and think, right, well, I'm, I'm really going to try and work on those or maybe just pick two of them. But um, asking first, framing questions well, um, because why can be feel like you've got to defend a position, whereas how or what, or what or how, usually in that order, um, really listening. And then the other thing that I think is, is playing back. Sounds like what you're saying is, for people listening to this, just to try some of those things, or, you know, if you want to read more about it, you can buy the book. But the whole point of this is just to, you know, the whole reason I wrote it is because I, I've just become so passionate because I've seen it from my own experience on both sides of the, of the coin, the difference it can make. And it's all about a kind of mindset, really. Yes. 
a different approach to those conversations or just a slightly it may well be that the people are doing some of this but but yeah, not exactly. maybe so consciously um, and it's about thinking about how you have those conversations yeah no it is absolutely that and and I think actually that's quite reassuring for people as well because being a chair of a school or a trust is is sometimes quite a daunting thing and you worry about am I doing it well enough well, actually, to read some stuff that actually makes you think, oh, OK, I'm not doing so bad after all, um, it, I think it's, it's, it's good. We should celebrate a lot more in our sector than we do. We definitely should. That's a great place to to leave it and celebrate, hopefully, um, relationship strengthening between uh, heads, executives and, and their, their governing boards. So thank you so much, Andy, for this conversation, but also more importantly, all the work that you're doing to um, extend good, good leadership practice um, across our sector. Uh, it's really That's good been an see. absolute pleasure. And um, this will probably date the podcast now, but have a lovely Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. A happy 2023 to you yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Cheers, Emma. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.